0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: How did a nice boy like you end up in Hollywood?
0: I started out in the theater department at Colorado State University. Now, I didn't start there to do that. I was a biology major. I was also on a football scholarship as a wide receiver. And I had all these classes, you know, and some of the guys on the team were like, you know, what are you doing? You trying to kill yourself? And I'm like, no. They go, yeah, listen, man, you need to drop some of those classes or you're not going to make grade, right? And I said, well, what do you recommend? And they were like, well, we're taking, like, public speaking and theater classes. And I said, really? They go, yeah, it's the same credits, but you don't have, you know, all this pressure on you. And I was like, okay, so if I take some theater classes, you guys aren't going to beat me up, right? And they're like, no, no, man, you know. I took a a theater class. And I actually drew the uh, card of the uh, professor." who is the chairman of the theater department. And I'm just coming in there for shits and giggles to try to get a, you know, an easy credit. Well, i you know, I'm just doing my thing. And eventually he comes to me and he says, you know what? He goes, doctor, his name is Dr. Woods. He goes, all these people are in here, right? They're like theater people from all over the country and this and that. He goes, you, on the other hand, I know what you're doing here. Yeah, have you have, enough, you have no idea what you're doing. He goes, and you're the best person that I've got in my class. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, because you don't get it. He goes, you're raw and you're just a goofball and I'm telling you, 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 out of all these students, you could do this for real. And I said, well, I, no, I you know, I go, well, I'm a biology major. He goes, well, I'm just telling you. So anyway, I ended up doing a couple of plays there and I, got really good reviews and whatever. And he said, you know what? I think, you know what, you need to take it to the next level. Because here at Colorado State, we only offer theater classes for what they are. I said, well, where should I go? He said, I think you should go to NYU. And I said, New York. And he goes, Yeah, I go, I've never been to New York, you know. He wrote me a recommendation and I got in. And I went. And I was there for two years. And here I was, you know, I mean, I, I really didn't even know what I was doing. I was just like, you no, I was a good pretender. You know, I just, I've always been fascinated by acting and I did little plays in high school and stuff. But I never thought I would take it any further than that. I mean, I changed my major on, based on that. And I got to NYU and there's, you know, there's the best of the best there. And I was able to hold my own there. And I moved up very quickly. And I did. A lot of plays through the neighborhood playhouse. I studied with Sanford Meisner, who's no longer with us, of course. And then I ended up for a year on All My Children. And I did that for a year. I made, I made some money doing that. At the same time, I was a paid intern at Warner Communications. And this is in 1981. My first assignment was MTV. I had actually been asked to audition for MTV as a video disc jockey. And I thought, and they gave me the script and the whole thing, and I looked at it, and I go, this is ridiculous. This will never go. This is stupid. And I turned it down. And then the, then the show launches, and I end up holding freaking cue cards, making coffee, running back and forth with three-quarter-inch videotapes, and making Xeroxes. So there you go. That was a bad call on my part. Because I could have had the Allen Hunter part. Because they were looking for a blonde-haired kid, you know, Midwestern. I'm from Colorado, you know. As it were, I ended up doing the soap opera. And I made some money. And then I decided I wanted to get out of there. And I went back to California and enrolled in UCLA. And I finished up there the, the, my last two years. And I finished up in 1985. And then I was working at a uh, production company in Westwood, California, I get a call to go audition for a movie called The Rage. And that was in like, I think October of 85. And I did. And on December the 18th, 1985, I was told that I had the part of Skank. And I quit my job and I never looked back and I never had another job after that except for
1: as an actor. So you kind of got into it a little bit by, I won't say by accident, but just kind of a roundabout way you're going into the acting business. When was the moment, was it before you went to NYU? It must have been when you finally said, this is what I want to be, or were you yeah. just kind of skating yeah. through that? Okay.
0: No, well, once, once Dr. Woods told me, right, that out of all of his students, he's I'm the only one that he would recommend. I was like, you're kidding me. He goes, I'm not kidding you. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just a freaking jackass, you know? And sometimes what you don't know won't hurt you. You know, I was like, okay. I talked to my parents. My dad said, absolutely not. I had a car. He just bought me a brand new car. He said, if you're going to go to New York and you'll do it on your own. So I sold my car and paid for my own way there. And that's and that's when I got in with both feet. And when I got to New York, I thought I was cool, and then I found out that I, pretty quickly, that I was not. But I was prepared for that because when I played college football at Colorado State University, dude, I was a standout in my high school. But when I got there, I had guys that were like, you know, serious. I mean, we're playing, we're playing like BYU and teams like this, and I'm out there as a wide receiver, white guy, you know. Steve Largent kind of guy. Not really fast, but I ran. I had great hands and I had great routes. And I had dudes out there going, yo, bro, you know, you ain't going to get over on me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy my mama a house. And when a guy told me that, I'm like, well, I'm not here for that. My mother has a house, a nice house. And I just thought I was playing for fun, but those guys weren't. And that's why I only played for a year and then I got out. But once I got into the acting, thing, and I saw the competition that was there, I only knew, because I came from sports, and all I knew was head-to-head competition, right? I carried that that over into when I got to NYU, and it was actually, it wasn't that great, you know, I mean, it wasn't that cool, because, you know, I was competing with people head-to-head, I'm like, I'm going to bury you, you know, and you know, and, and Stanford Meisner, and my other teachers were like, Hey man, you know, this isn't a contact sport. You're only as good as the person is opposite you. So you don't, you're not here to try to bury that person. And it took me a while to get that, you know, because I was someone to overrun everybody. Once I got that figured out and I was able to allow myself to be available to the other actors, then, then I was able to grow as an actor. And here's the thing, man, I didn't tell you, okay. While I was a student at Colorado State, the first actor that I ever worked with—Are you ready for this? Robin Williams. I'm 20 years old. They're shooting Mork and Mindy in Boulder. They had an open casting call. I went up for it. You know, I was a little blonde-haired kid back then. You know, skinny. They, they got you know, and they're looking for a skateboarder, and I was that. I get the part. And so my first. Ever seen ever, professionally was with that guy, and dude, he blew me away because I had this, you know, I only had one line, and he it was he was a roller he was in a roller skating race in you know in Boulder racing somebody and and he falls down and I go to help him up and then he, I said my line exactly as it worked. He never responded the same way twice. And it freaked me out. You know, I was like, this guy must hate me. He's trying to, I'm I'm like, I'm a young guy. just getting started. And Robert Williams is just burying me because he won't say the, every time I say my life, he won't say the same thing twice. You you know, and that was how I cut my teeth in that, you know, uh, on a professional level was with Robert Williams, the first professional actor I ever worked with. And so that taught me a lot right there. It could not depend on what the other person is going to say. That, you know, I, I can rely on that, but if it's not there, I've got to make up for it on my own. I can't get thrown. I cannot and will not be thrown. And it also taught me the, the art of thinking on my feet and improvising. All in that one scene, it changed my entire life at that point. And so when I got to New York, I took that with me.
1: So when you get the call to go for the audition for the Wraith, how is the character described to you?
0: First of all, I didn't read for Skank the first time I was called to read to read for Jamie Hankins, Charlie Sheen's part. So I read for that. Right. And when I get in there, they said, you know what? That's really good. Um, we want to give you these sides and take these, take these outside, look them over, take as long as you need. And then, you know, when you're ready, you can come back in and read these. And it was for the role of skit. Okay. So I did that. And, uh, uh, now keep in mind back then, this is 1985. I was, uh, I was a musician man at the same time. I mean, I played in punk rock bands. I was a punk rocker, you know, I had spiked hair. I was, I was the only actor of, of my time that was a trained actor who looked like he was from the sex business. And it was, you know, but I was like, it was, I was a dichotomy, you know, because nobody looked like me, you know. And I didn't want to look like the rest of these guys. I'm like, I actually was more of a musician. I've been playing drums since I was 13 years old. I'm playing in bands and stuff. Much like Johnny Depp was doing, you know. Johnny Depp was in bands until, and Nick Cage saw him play somewhere and went, "Hey, wow, man, I love your band, man. You know, uh, you're a good-looking guy. You ever thought about acting?" Well, I had the kind of the same situation. But um, anyway, I go in to read for that, and they asked me to read for Skank, so I do it, came in, I read for it, and nothing. And then um, it was weeks, weeks later. You know, and I was freaking out because I was like, wow, man, you know, I thought I really did a good job. And I, and this part was like really cool. And I really wanted to play it and nothing. And then all of a sudden you get a call to come in and read for it again. Right. So this time um, I have a little information on the character. So I really threw on my like my punk rock stuff. I mean, I was wearing it t-shirt, I cut the nipples out of the shirt, man, you know, where my boobs are hanging out, you know, my nipples, and it was gross looking, you know, I, I mean, it was disgusting I would never want to see somebody looking like that but I did it, you know, I had my hair all spiked up, you know I uh, had a cigarette behind my ear and uh, I had some eyeliner on, and I was wearing sh- shredded jeans and combat boots and, I, and a bunch of necklaces and, you know, braces and I walked in there with full attitude, I sit down, and there's this dude sits next to me. He's like, hey, what you do it, man? I go, I'm good, bro. And uh, he goes, my name's Jamie. I go, how you doing? You know, and now, you got to remember, man, I'm coming out of freaking UCLA, man, and NYU. Uh, I'm not interested in talking to anyone. I'm focused. This guy says, uh, what are you reading for? And I'm like, God damn, man. You know, I'm reading for Stank. Who do you think? He goes, Oh, I'm reading for Gunner Boy. And I go, great. He goes, You want to run lines? I said, I don't think so. And he's like, Oh, okay, you know. So I didn't. It was Jamie Bozian. I thought he looked like a freaking Cretan. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, fuck this guy, man, you know, whatever, dude. And so I ended up going in a read for it. And then, you know, and a couple weeks later, we get a call back. And they call, and so I get there, and it's just me and him. And I'm like, whoa, okay. You know, he's like, hey, man, yeah, good to see you, bro. You know, I'm like, all right. So they bring us in, and it's Mike Marvin, John Kameny, maybe Jeff Sutton, and, uh, and somebody else. And we're in the conference room. This is Lionsgate, second floor. And so... They bring bows in in the end. There's nobody else in there. So we, we we got to do this scene together, you know. And we do it, and they go, oh, oh you guys are hilarious. You've got the parts. you we were like the first guys cast. So um, that was, like you said, December the 18th, 1985. About two weeks later for that, they called us in for wardrobe fitting and all that. And um, that's where we're all there. That's where I meet Cassavetes. Uh, Griff, uh, Chris Nash, Clint, Howard, and uh, Charlie Sheen. I mean, we're all in there for a wardrobe thing. And uh, that's where Charlie and I first met, and we became bros instantly right there and have been best friends to this very day. I was in his house for Thanksgiving. Yes, absolutely. Charlie and I have been through, dude, all the shit that you heard about him back in the day I was right next to him, right next to him through all the Heidi flies, all the jokes, all the ugly shit, man. We did a 20 year world tour together. It's amazing that we came out on the other end of it, but we did.
1: What was the experience of the Wraith like for you?
0: First of all, I had only done, you know, like I said, the soap opera. And I'd never done uh, a feature film. I'd never done a close up per se, you know, so far, you don't even know you're doing a close-up. You know, they either come in on you or they don't because they're shooting, like, three cameras. Um, but this one was that. And I had never done anything like that. And so when I got it, you know, it was exciting. It was a, I mean, I was like, I couldn't believe it. We got in there for the wardrobe fitting, and then we had the table rehearsals. That's when it started to land on me. And then when they told me I was going to be making... Fifteen hundred dollars a week for six weeks. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Because, like I said, I was working for minimum wage at a production company in Westwood, running dailies back and forth to Hollywood. Uh, you know, for two hundred dollars a week. You know, it was like, "Wow, okay." You know, so it was huge, and it was. The, I mean, I didn't just like come in the back door with a little part. It was like. I auditioned for this thing and it was like it was a huge part, you know. We were the comedy relief, so it was amazing and intimidating at the same time. But I worked out so hard for that thing. I mean, I got a trainer. I mean, I was ripped for that movie because I thought that that's what this character should be, you know. And it was it was it was a godsend. I mean, I can't even explain it, man. I mean, going into it. Afterwards, yes, I mean, it was the best experience of my life, and I made the best friends of my life with whom I'm still friends to this day. And I've worked on 35 movies since then, and I still don't have the friends from those pictures that I do from this one.
1: Yeah, that's what uh, Jamie was saying, that just going on and, and working with folks again and just kind of keeping in contact with everybody, it seems like there was just such a camaraderie on the set of this film.
0: It was an extreme camaraderie. I'll tell you this. It was, we, when we got there to Tucson, all of us, especially on the, uh, the gang side, okay? Cassavetes being uh, Bozian, Griff, Chris Nash, and uh, Clint Howard. We really bonded so much, and we were so into it, that we were rude as hell. To everyone else on that set, I don't care if it was Sheen, Matt Berry who played Billy, and we were really hard on the boy in the in the uh, Daytona, uh, uh, Steve Echel. When that guy showed up, matter of fact, Mike Marvin had to come to us and go, "Hey, you know what? You guys need to back off on this guy. It's, it's not cool." Because we were like, we were like, "Fuck him, man. Who's he? He's a piss pissant. He should have tried to." You know, I mean, we were we were so into it. that we were, we wouldn't let anyone near it. And you know what? I heard him talk about Johnny Depp. He showed up on that set. And I'm going to tell you something, my man, which those other guys didn't cover. I'll tell you this true story. He was about to get his ass kicked. Okay. Because he was a little top sucker. He showed up with his little armbands and this thing with Sherilyn. And he was all like, yeah, man, I'm the one that called him out first. I was like, hey, punk, you know. Cause, dude, I was wit and I was I was badass back then. So I'm like, I will fuck you up. And he's like, and he went to his hotel room. He didn't want any of that. Okay, none of it, dude. And I was, you know, kind of he was a badass man, but I was I was. You know, we had our situations because I was a badass too, and so there was friction between me and Packard Walsh and Casavetti's. You know where he would try to be that guy and I wouldn't let him be that guy. He's like, Hey man, you know, read the script. You work for me. And I go, yeah, when we're shooting, I do, but when we're not shooting, you're just another fucking dude, man. And you know, he punched me in the face, knocked me the shit out, man. I mean, that guy was big, dude. He hand me. And I was like, Oh dude, I had to work with a black eye and shit. Uh, you know, but, I was raspy back then. I mean, out of the entire group, um, uh, I, I was, I was just, I was so into it, you know, and, uh, coming from a, uh, a, a, an athletic background, I actually thought that these Hollywood guys, especially Hollywood kids were a bunch of pussies. I'm like, you know what? You guys grew up with silver spoons in your buttholes, you know, uh, I'm here to set it straight. And, oh, you know what, by the way, I come from NYU and fuck off Broadway. What the hell have you guys done? Oh, you know, oh, your parents are famous.
2: <clears throat> you
0: know, so I had a real attitude and uh, that had to be adjusted. Uh, but it took a while for that because I was raspy that when I played that character, you know, I was all in and nobody was getting me out of that. And, you know, me and Griff, especially we, we like We butted heads right off the bat because Griff was hardhead. And I'm like, dude, you know what? Bro, I'll kill you. You know? And he's like, oh, that's cool, bro. You know? And we ended up becoming best buddies. And that leads to a very famous story that happened in Tucson. We were there for a couple of weeks. We decided to go out one night. Uh, We'd asked around. And somebody said, yeah, there's a, you know, uh, nightclub in Tucson. So, uh, Griff and me and Jamie Bozian, we, uh, we get dressed up, you know, and decide we're going to go out, you know, and we can find some chicks or, you know, we're just right off the campus of the university of Arizona, by the way. And, um, so Griff, uh, goes to Gary Hellerstein, who was our transportation captain. He says, Hey, we're going to go out. Can we, can we sign out a van? He's like, Oh, I don't know. Come on, man. So he he signs a van out to us. So we take the van out, we go to this place, right? We hang out for a few hours and we're drinking, partying. you know, we're like 24, you know, we're young. And um, so we leave there and it's like, I don't know, one in the morning. So we go to the Circle K, stop. goes like, Rick goes, hey man, I'm hungry, man. How about you guys? He goes, yeah, hell yeah, man. So we go to this place, we walk in and we're like, you know, we're dressed in like, you know, uh like nice clothes. You know, are from LA, okay? And we're in Tucson. And we're loud, especially was loud, you know. And so we we get a couple of those uh you know convenience store burritos and uh we'd probably smoke some weed. I can't remember, you know, but I know we've been drinking. And so we go get in a van and These two dudes, these two locals, right? Like long-haired, stringy, redneck, Arizona types. We get in the car, and this one dude goes up to to Griff's side. I'm sitting in the front seat. Jamie's in the back. This guy taps on the window. Griff rolls it down. He goes, hey, loudmouth, what's your fucking problem? And Griff goes, what do you mean? He goes, oh, he goes, well, you know, you're in there talking all kinds of shit, you know? And... He goes, hey, man, I'm sorry, bro. You know, we just came in to get something to eat. He goes, really? What'd you get? He goes, well, I've got a burrito. The dude reaches in the window and snatches it. And he goes, well, maybe I'm hungry. And he takes a bite out of it. Griff calmly looks at me. And he goes, hey, bro, are we going to take this? And I was brassy back then. I go, oh, fuck now. And, dude, we so Griff and I peel out of the car, right out of the van. These two dudes immediately come at us, and fists are flying. I hit the first guy, dude. I break my hand, right? I'm doing a movie, and I just busted my hand, right? So I'm fighting this guy. With, I'm hitting him with elbows. The other guy grip grabs a hold of. He bends him over the hood of his car, right? The dude that I'm fighting, because my hand was jacked, gets away from me. He goes to their car, opens the trunk. And he comes out with a freaking baseball bat. Now Griff's got his buddy bent over the car. He's pulling his mouth apart. The dude takes a full swing and hits Griff in the back. Straight on the back of the back. Griff, unfazed, turns around and goes, "You son of a bitch!" And dude tears after this guy. The other guy that Griff was was fighting goes after him, I intercept this guy with my busted hand, I elbow the guy and dude, I get him on the ground and I'm just kicking the hell out of him. Griff is ripping this other guy's face apart until they yielded and we left him on the ground, freaking with our asses kicked. We get back in the van, we're pulling out, The one dude actually is able to get his shit together, grabs the bat and takes the mirror off. Of a company van. So now we get out of there. we got to drive it back. And, of course, our transportation captain goes, where the hell's the mirror? And we're like, well, dude, you know, uh, we got a little bit of a strip, you know. And and yet I've got to tell Mike Marvin, I've got to go to the medic because my hand's busted. So there's a couple of scenes in the race where I've got a hand and a cast and you can't see it because I broke my right hand on this guy's face. And then it came out in the Tucson paper. Now, it said, <clears throat> actors from the film shooting in Tucson from the Raid uh, engaged two Tucson locals and dressed in their Beverly Hills tweeds. It was a big deal in Tucson. And, of course, we got called to the principal's office because of that. And my boy Jamie was in the back seat the whole time. It was, it was so funny. He he didn't, he didn't push out or nothing, but there was nothing for him to do. And he was just, it was hilarious, man. I mean, I... It was a funny night. We kicked the shit out of those guys. Uh, you know, and that's when me and Griff looked at each other and we were like I was like, Wow, dude, you're full on doggy. And he goes, Oh yeah, bro. He's like, freaking stank. And I go, That's right, dog. You know. So we were like after that, I'm like, me and Griff are like, Hey man, uh, anybody wants to get some, bring it. I mean, we were just really aggro. And then after we leave Tucson, you know, we hung out after that and we got into all kinds of trouble, dude, and fights and stuff like that with posers and stuff. But Griff was my boy. He knew I had his back and knew I had my, you know, and we were just, we were just knuckles, you know, they're on. And I love that guy, man. You know, he had some bad luck come his way, but he's a really good guy. But, you know, he was, uh, he was lightning unchained and, I was slightly not that. I'm like, Griff, you want to go kick somebody's ass, dude, I'm with you. You know, but I'm not going to get in a car and go 140 down Wilshire Boulevard. Sorry, bro. Right. You know, but anyway, I digress.
1: I was going to ask you to tell me a little bit more about the uh, the Charlie Sheen World Tour as you described it.
0: Well, okay, I'll just tell you where it began, okay? I met Charlie, I actually met him in 1984 at a party in Malibu. And it was with like Rob Lowe, uh, and, um, oh gosh, Sean Penn, uh, and Judd Nelson, you know, a bunch of those guys. And we didn't really spend any time together or, you know, whatever. It was just like, Hey, yeah, what are you doing? And then when we met on the race, um, you know, we were we wardrobe stuff. Then we got down there as a matter of fact, you know, Charlie's room was right next to mine. And um, we just like, you know, I, we just talk and stuff like that. You know, and one day I told him, I go, hey, bro, you know, I go, you know, I'm a big movie fan, man. And he's like, well, yeah, me too, dude. I'm Jaws and Star Wars, right? And I go, yeah, well, I go, I'm all about Apocalypse Now. And he goes, too one of my favorites. And I said, well, you know, I do a really good imitation of your old man in that movie. And he's like, bullshit and I goes no bullshit I do and he goes let me hear it so I did it for him blew him away and we were buddies right after that and if you want to hear it I'll do it for you now alright you ready this is what I did for Charlie when I first met him this is uh, Martin Sheen a pop now opening scene
2: Saigon shit I'm still only in Saigon so Every time I wake up, I think I'm going to be back in the jungle. Every minute I stay in this room, I get weaker. And every minute Charlie squats in the bush, he gets stronger. Each time I look around, the walls move in a little tighter. Everyone gets everything they want. I wanted a mission. And for my sins, they gave me one. Brought it up to me like room service. It was a real choice mission. And when it was over, I never want another. That's my Martin Jean.
0: And so I did that for him. And he was like, he said the same thing. Right. <laughs> and so then he goes, oh man, you know, you we start, he goes, well, you know, then he quotes something. Right. And then I go, um, I go, yeah, well, it's not the only one I do, you know? And he's like, well, really? And I go, yeah. <clears throat> I go, you know, everybody always gets this one scene wrong. And it pisses me off. He goes, which one's that? <clears throat> and I go, you smell that? You smell that, son? Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, one day we had a hill bombed for 12 hours. And it was over, I walked up. And we didn't find one of them. Not one stinking dig body. But that hill, the whole hill, smelled like victory. Someday this war was going to end. You know, and I uh, did by Robert Duvall for him. And that's the, actual, that's the actual scene. A lot of people always go, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Well, that's not how it goes. He's talking to Martin Sheen down in the pit. And he goes, smell that? What? He goes, what? He goes, napalm, son. Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. That's how I got. it. I actually busted his ass on that one, and then I took $100 off of him for the Star Wars quote. when he says, uh... He goes, Los Isley Spaceport. You'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and treachery, he says. I go, that's, that's not the line. And he goes, Charlie <clears throat> so goes, oh,
2: really, dude? Oh, yeah, fuck yeah, this. That's the fucking line. I go, I said, bro, that's not the line. It's, you'll never find a more wretched hive
0: of scum and villainy. And so, back then, we didn't have YouTube, right? So... We had to go back and watch the movie to pull that up, and I took 100 bucks off him. After that, he never fucked with me ever again when it comes to movies. Because I am, as Bozian told you, the sci-fi guy. And also, not only that, I am a movie dialogue guy. Much like, you know, one of the things that I like about you guys and your show is you guys picked up on a lot of stuff. You guys know what you're talking Well, you know what? Hey, bro. I could have my own show doing that because I am the line master and I do. I bring a lot of my favorite lines. I sneak them in new where I can in everything that I've ever done. Always. Absolutely. And so, yes, I don't know who he is, but whatever he is, he's weird and pissed off is from the thing. I took it directly and I gave Jamie Bozian. I've got the bullets. Now Bozian said it was on the anniversary of James Dean's death. Wrong. And when I heard it, I even called him. I go, dude, it was February the eighth. That's James Dean's birthday. And and so when we were doing it, I said, dude, do you realize because I was a big, big James Dean guy back then, right? And I said, Do you realize what tonight is?
2: Because you know what?
0: I go, it's James Dean's birthday. I said, We need to do something, right? And I go, I'm gonna throw this in here, but I need you I go, I want you to say this, but I you know, I need you to, I got to set it up, right? So I'm going to say, right, grab the shotgun, Mama Luca, which was in the script. Mike Marvin wrote that, right? And then I said, then I said, I'm going to go, where's the bullets? And you're going to go, what? And I'm going to go, where's the bullets? And you're going to say, I got the bullets, But don't say it until I ask you twice. And that's how that scene came out. Absolutely. That's a true story you asked me about Charlie. Well, the funny thing about him was, like I said, he was, he was my next door neighbor at, at uh, Tucson Hilton. And the funniest thing, the, you know, this guy's hilarious, first of all. And he's he was funny right out of the gate. I mean, when I first met him, you know. But the thing that cracked me up about him is every morning, his room was right next to mine. This is 1986 of January. I was into The Cure and The Smiths and Depeche, okay? This fucker is listening to Pink Floyd come and hear Du Bois and have a cigar. And I would go, bro, every day.
2: I go, what, what, what are you listening to? He's
0: like, oh man, Pink Floyd, dude. And I'm like, do you realize that was like 10 years ago,
2: right? You know, and he's like,
0: oh, it doesn't matter. And you know what's funny, because like about five or six years after that, Charlie and I had already been, had been, become buddies, he's going, he's listening to you too. I go, you know, this band came out in 1980, right? He's like, Oh no, man. You know? Uh, So he's always been behind the curve musically and it cracked me up. And, um, we always had that thing where I'm like, you know, bro, you know, uh, you need to get up with the times, you know, but he's always been that guy. And eventually he caught up with me in, I guess 1990 with, uh, with, uh, 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 Guns N' Roses after they came out in 1987 with, uh, you know, Welcome to the Jungle. And then we used to go to the, uh, bar at the Tucson Hilton group of us. We called ourselves the Greyhound Gang because we were, all we drank was vodka and grapefruit juice. Okay. So we were one night we're down in the, in the bar and you know, none of us. We're getting we're getting uh, a little per on this stuff, you know. But Charlie from Malibu, he's getting the same amount per diem as we were, but you know, because but he had more money than we did, you know, not a lot more, but he had enough. So this guy was up there singing John Denver songs, and we we're like, oh my God, this guy's killing it. She literally gets up on the table, walks up to the guy, and says, "Hey, man," stops in the middle of his of his stuff. And he's up on stage, and he goes, "Hey, bro." And he goes, "You know what?" And he goes, uh, "This music is killing us, man." And he goes, "They give me fifty bucks to stop playing," and the guy's like, uh, "Well," he goes, "Well, how?" And Charlie goes, "Well, how much are they paying you?" "Can't be that much." And he goes, "I'll give you a hundred dollars," and he goes, "Like he's like, uh, well, I, I don't know, I don't, I, 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 I don't know if I can do that, right?" And Charlie's going, "Bro," and he pulls out a hundred bucks. To give it to this guy, and the guy wouldn't take it. And we were at the table, me, Matt Berry, Jamie, and uh, Clint, and uh, and Griff. And we we're on the floor laughing. It was the first time we ever thought, like, you know, we thought Charlie was just like the shit because we're like, dude, this guy's gonna offer us a hundred dollars, and we we're like, that was like so much money back then, you know. Uh, and the fact that he did it uh, was priceless. And I talked to Clint about this after he did his thing with you. And I said, Clint, remember that story? And dude, Clint was like, oh my god, yeah, I forgot all about that. You know? Yeah, that was a great story. Oh, yeah, you, you gotta tell that. And I said, well, I'm gonna tell it. And I said, I'm gonna tell some other stories too. And Clint goes, oh, now, just remember now, once you hit send, and I go, don't oh, right, worry, Clint. I go, I got this, man. I'm not gonna talk about the peak shows and the dog tracks. Oh, geez, I forgot all about that. You know. <laughs> but we we got we had a ton of them. Uh it was like I mean, we were so we were so jacked up for that, you know, that it was it was a crazy amalgam of of these guys playing these the, the, this gang, you know? And now, Clint wasn't so much a part of it because he's rogue head. You know, He's he was, he was the brain to the thing. That's why the rape doesn't kill him, you know? You know, but, um, you know, we dragged him along anyway and, and Clint was, uh, Clint Clint's just, he was a who, you know, and uh, and he still is and I love the guy dearly. And like I said, we did. I called him after I heard the podcast and I said, hey man, I said, I didn't know you could speak so eloquently. And he's like, Well, you know what? He goes, If it's something I know what I'm talking about, you know, I can do that. But if it's something outside the scope of my knowledge, ah, I can't really bullshit. So I was like, Okay, man.
1: (laughs) Tell me uh, what it was like working on the rookie.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I can't describe that because the reason. I always wanted to be an actor, but my, my, and, and, and here's the thing my dad was a, was a detective, a police officer
2: for years, right?
0: And he, uh, his guy was Clint Eastwood. I mean, from Rawhide, you know, what, you know, uh, all the way. And I snuck in to see Dirty Harry when I, I was way too young, you know, uh, I got in with a buddy of mine, um, mom took us and I saw Dirty Harry in 1971, freaking 11 or something. And and it changed my life. From that day forth, all I did was I would take my toy gun, I'd look in the mirror
2: and I'd go, uh-uh, you know, you better ask yourself a question, punk. You know, did I fire five times or did I fire six? Well, to tell you the truth, I lost count myself and all this excitement. You know,
0: so, I mean, I used to do that scene all the time. And I practiced holding a gun like Clint Eastwood. And secretly, I don't know anybody else, I always wanted to be that guy. And so when the door opened for me to be an actor, that was my driving force. I I, I literally, I wanted to work. I wanted him, I didn't even want to work with him. I only wanted to meet two people in my life. 'Cause two of my heroes as a kid were Clint Eastwood, the other one was Captain James T. Kirk, bro. And so if I could meet William Shatner and Clint Eastwood, my life as a little kid would be complete. Well I never met William Shatner, never have. But all these years later, I get the script of the rookie. And Charlie and I go into this thing. And Charlie gets that role and I had to audition for Max. And even though Charlie was my buddy, there was nuts. he told Clint about me. He's like, I'll give shit, right? He's gonna audition like everybody else. So I did. And I got it. Okay. So Charlie starts working on the rookie before me. He calls me
2: up and he goes, Hey man, dude. Uh, I just did uh my first scene with Clint, man. Okay. And he goes, Dude, he goes, I got the eyeball. And I go, what do you mean that? He goes, oh, you know the, uh, you know that squint, that shit that he does. I go, really? He goes, <clears throat> and he goes, yeah, man. He goes, dude. He goes, you're up on the call sheet next. He goes, dude. He goes, I'm just telling you, bro. If he breaks it out on you, you're not gonna be ready for it. And I go, I go, okay,
0: okay. So, I show up and I'm working on the movie, and I, to, my first scene is stealing a car, right, and. It's a convertible Ferrari, and I've got long blonde hair back then, you know, in the nineties. And they didn't have a, a my headshot didn't look like that, so they didn't have a double for me. So the 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 was name Buddy, whatever his name was, goes to Clint. And he goes, hey, what the hell, you know? And he goes, we don't we don't have anybody that looks like this guy, gonna match him up, blah blah. Clint goes, you're worry about it, you know. He goes, and so he goes, hey, Max. He goes, uh. I'm going to need you to drive this car. And so I'm working with him just as a director, right, for the first few few nights. And uh, I'm like, yeah, man,
2: yeah. And he's only calling him on my character's name. And he goes, uh, all right, he goes, I'm uh, going well, to you drive this car around the corner. You're going to come around here. I'm going, put a little, uh, I'm going to put a little water, some sand on the road. And I need you to pull that parking brake there and spin it around and drive it up onto the car carrier where we're going to be. He goes, you think you can do that? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. You're no problem. No problem.
0: $150,000 car. First time I try it, I hit the curb, knock the hubcaps off. Dude, the guy flips out, right? The, the transportation guy, the stunt guy, right? And he's like, yeah,
2: easy. Y'all let click, comes over and intercepts me. He goes, hey, you, he goes, you get the hell off my actor. He goes, I'll take this fucking car and throw it in the fucking ocean if I want to. And I was like, wow. And he goes, goes, okay, Max, come here. I goes, he goes, "All right." He goes, you ever spin a donut in your principal's yard? I go, well, not really. you know around with that kind of guy. And he goes, well, it's pretty easy. He goes, okay, this time what I want you to do is kind of hug that curb a little bit tighter. He goes, and then come in there, and we're going to put a little bit more sand and, and water down for you. He goes, and then, he goes. When you pull that brake, I want you to hit the gas, right? And just look at the at the car carrier and aim for that. And I said,
0: okay. And I am shaking like a leaf. I'm like, I'm not a stunt driver, right? But dude, I come along and I'm I'm hauling in. I got a, I got a walkie-talkie between my legs, and I hear Clint goes,
2: "Hey Max, are you ready?"
0: I go, "Uh, yeah, Clint, I am." And he goes. Clint doesn't call action, you know, ever.
2: He goes, come ahead.
0: So I stop on it. I come down the street. I hit the freaking turn. I hug the curve. I freaking, everything goes off as planned and the tires are spinning. And I drive that Ferrari up onto a car carrier up the, I mean, I hit the ramp and the, the you know, you lose sight of what's in front of you until the nose drops down. And Clint is at the end of it with sandbags and the camera, and I drive it up there and hit the brakes and stop. Clint goes, God, God damn it, that was dramatic. And he comes up to me, and he helps me out of the car, and he goes, hey, that was a hell of a job, Dave. Calling them on my name. And he goes, hey,
2: he goes, you like jokes? I said,
0: and I'll just shake it, man. I go, can't believe I just pulled that off. And I go,
2: yeah, sure, Clint. And he goes, well, if a pit bull is humping your leg, what do you do? I go, I don't know, Clint. What do you do? He goes, just take the orgasm.
0: That was my first relationship with Clint Eastwood. And I was like, boom. And then the next night, I've got to shoot the scene in the garage. And Clint comes to me and he goes, how are you doing, Max? I've been running with a pretty fast
2: crowd these days.
0: I thought, I just thought I'd start by remembering how short your legs are. And when he said, how short your legs are, he gave me that clicking the Clint Eastwood look. And dude, the back of my brain blew out. I stood there and looked at him. Charlie warned me about it, but I still wasn't ready for it. And then I just stand there looking at him. And Clint's chewing on a cigar, you know. And he looks back at me, and I'm not saying anything. And he goes, uh,
2: go ahead, uh, cut that. He goes, is everything all okay there, Dave?"
0: I said, yes, Clint, that's my fault. I said, you know, I just wasn't ready for that. And he goes, ready for what? And I go, that look, man. Good look." He goes, well, if it's fucking with you, then I won't do it. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to go into a hole, man. I said, no, no. I said, Clint, it's good. I said, you know what? I just got caught up in the moment. He goes, oh, okay, well, if that's all it is. No problem. Let's go again. You know, and boom, come ahead. And, and then we did it. And I did the scene in the second take because with Clint Eastwood, that's all you get, my man. All the movies that I've done before that, you get as many takes as it takes. With Clint Eastwood, you get two, bro, two. Uh, Sean Penn never won a freaking nothing until he worked with Clint Eastwood and he gave him two takes. Uh, Bradley Cooper is up for an Academy Award. I guarantee you all he got was two takes. If you go beyond two takes with Clint Eastwood, he will call you a faggot. He, he doesn't give a shit. He, he doesn't care. He's like, Yeah, listen man, if you can't get it, he goes, if you told me he goes, hey, it's not we're not doing Ivan no. You know? I mean, you you gotta get down because he gets it in two takes. He does. And you better get it with him or you're done. And so I did this whole movie with this guy. And we, uh, last scene, I got to fight him and stunt coordinator comes over. He goes, he goes, Hey, Clint, you want? He goes, uh, want hard paint, uh, like a cement floor. And we're going to be fighting over a gun. He goes, you want pads? Clint
2: goes, nah, I'm good.
0: I'm standing right next to him. The guy goes, Hey, you want pads?
2: I go, no, I'm good.
0: And dude, you know, I backed in. I weighed about 155 pounds, right? Clint weighs like 240 And I've got to fight him over a gun. And here's the thing, beautiful thing. Uh, uh, okay. The gun's like the 357 Magnum. Now here comes, here comes the catharsis, bro. I've been practicing this since I was 11 years old. I picked the gun up. It's not a 44 Magnum, but it looks like like the 357. Watch the movie. I come up and I go, chill or die, asshole. And I'm a when I pull the gun up, Clint Eastwood, whenever he held in Dirty Harry, Clint would never stuck that gun straight out. He dipped it. He dipped it. He, he, the nose of the gun is pointed downward. It's in a relaxed position. Like, he's so relaxed that he will blow you away, you know? So there's no tension in Clint's hands. He, like, he literally lets the gun hang in his hand. I come up with that gun, dude, and I dip it on him. Just watch it. It's in the movie. It's in the movie. And I go, chill or die,
2: asshole. And he goes, I don't think so, Max.
0: You don't be wasting $2 million worth of merchandise now, do you? And dude, it's not in the script. I'm in mean, the moment. I look at Clint when I go, Fuck you. Yeah. And he goes, Fuck you, yeah, dude. And he beats the shit out of me. And we caught. And I go, Clint, I said, You know what? I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that to
2: you. And he goes, Ah, man. He goes, I like that fuck you thing. Let's keep it.
0: And then later on, he's chained to the chair. And I come in with Roll Julia. And I said, I give him this detonating device. And I look at Clint Eastwood and I go, I said, well, Pulaski looks like I wasn't the one who needed the shorter, the longer legs after all, huh? And, dude, I'm telling you, I don't know what, something possessed my leg, but it just my foot goes and I kick him in the feet. Cut, you know, and I go, and I go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm fired. I'm done. I said, Clint, man, I'm sorry, you know, it just, I, I got, again, I got caught up in the morning. He goes,
2: Pauline, bro, he goes, you know what, I like the way you work. I Stay in the moment like that. but Do me a favor. If you're going to kick me, don't treat me like I'm some little bitch.
0: So I went, fucking A, man. So the one that's in the movie, I tee off like I'm kicking a freaking off from the 35-yard line in the Super Bowl. And he loved it. You know, at the premiere in Westwood, I, took, I had to take one guest, and I'd
2: take my dad.
0: And so we watched the movie. And because my dad always told me, I you know, you're crazy. You're never going to make shit. But he's the one that introduced me to Clint Eastwood. I said, you know, maybe he's the one that made me want to be an actor. i have be introduced me to this guy, you know. So he goes to see the movie. We're, the lights come up. We're walking out. I hear this, hey, David. And, and Clint would never call me Dave. I told him to call me Dave, but he wouldn't do it, right? I hear Dame David. Turn around, and it's Clint. And I go, hey,
2: Clint, you know, we're buddies now. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I just wanted to tell you what a, what a good job you did in the movie. And, and it was a, a, a hell of a good time working with you. And I said, well, thanks, man. I said, I, it, was, it was, the pleasure was all mine. You know,
0: I said, if I never work again, I said, I'm, I'm happy. And he goes, wow, well, you're going to work a lot more after this. And then I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. By the way, this is my dad, Ben Sherrill. My dad was like, his mouth was wide open, right? And he goes, Oh, hey, Dan. How are you? And my
2: dad's like, I'm good, Clint. How are you? And he goes, I'm good. He goes, hey, you know what? He goes, your son here is a, he's a, he's a hell of an actor, but he goes, uh, more so he's a, he's a really good guy.
0: And my dad goes, well, thank you, Clint. And he goes, yeah, he's lost two guys later. he walks away and my dad turns to me and he goes, I'm sorry for everything I ever said. And I said, I said, don't be. I said, because had you not challenged me, I said, you would not have met this guy today, you know? So that's my Clint Eastwood story. And when I wrapped, get, he, he said, Dave Sherrill's rapped. He goes, he did a hell of a job. Let's all give him a standing ovation. And dude, the whole crew gave me a standing ovation. And, and I even said after that, I go, I don't care if I never do another movie. for so the rest of my life, this is it, you know? Boom. That was it. I mean, he was the shit Clint Eastwood. The best guy in the business. The best guy. And he is a real dude, man. I mean, he didn't know me from Adam. But once I cut my teeth with him, and I showed him that I wasn't some, um, you know, just phony dude, and I could take, I could fight him. I, you know, I'm the only person that Clint Eastwood has ever killed without a gun. He chose me with a pair of handcuffs. I'm the only guy in all of his movies that he doesn't shoot. Trivia question. And, of course, then I went on to work with a lot of other people and stuff. You know, after that, I mean, you know, with Jenna Rollins and Marissa Tomei and Gerard Depardieu and all kinds of people. But Nick Cassavetes, uh, you know, whom, uh, in my experience, he's uh, a great director, but uh, the best director I've ever worked with, and I worked with Nick on a couple of pictures, is it, his Nick. I mean, he's numero uno, man. He doesn't get a lot of credit for that, but Nick, Nick's the best, the best actors director that I've ever seen. And I've worked with a lot of them, and he is great.
1: He's great. What's this new one that you have coming out, Careful What You Wish For?
0: Yes, that's right. Well, you know, I actually um, I did uh, an episode just about a year ago of a new show called uh, Halt and Catch Fire, which is on AMC, right? Um, and then right before that, I did this picture called Careful What You Wish For, where I play the father of Nick Jonas, in his first feature film role, I had the luxury, if you call it that, of breaking this guy in. That was a weird thing, because I'm coming in with, you know, 30 years under my belt with a young kid who's a very popular musician, you know, and he does some stage work and stuff, and that's fine, but he hasn't done anything movie-wise, you know, and all my scenes are with him. You know, he's playing my kid. He wasn't talking to me or anything, you know. I eventually had to say, you know, hey, you know, what's going on, man? you know, I I mean, I'm playing your dad. You don't talk to me. I said, what's our relationship? Do you hate me? And he goes, no, man, I'm just doing my own thing. And when he said that, I went, okay,
2: okay, bitch.
0: The gloves are off, okay? Yeah. Uh, I was being nice, but now I'm going to freaking unleash some shit. I'm not worried about you anymore. So, you know what? I took it to him after that. And the director would be pulling me back. She's like, hey, you know. Uh, and I go, well, you know. And Paul Sorbino was the same way. He came to me and he goes, hey. He goes, what the hell is this shit? And I, Paul Sorbino's dude, this guy's got, he's been working 60 years, you know. And I'm like, I don't know. He goes, I don't, I don't work like this, you know. And I go, well, you yeah, really don't either, you know. We were all, we were kind of, has to get out of the way of this kid, you know, and like you know, let him do his thing. and uh, and I'm good with that. I'm not here to show him up. But once the director told me, she said, "Give me a little bit of license." I took that license, and some of it was what had to do with improv- improvising. You know, there's a scene where we're having a you know dinner by the lake or something, and, and his mom and him, and you know, we and we're we cast, and he goes. Oh, you know, gross or whatever, and I said, Hey, you know, just something you need to learn right now, you know. Happy wife, happy life, right? And uh he goes, Yeah, well, you know, uh, that's easy for you to say, you know, uh uh you know, first you gotta get the woman, right? And I said, Well, why don't you and then I entered the director said, You know, come back with something like that. So we do it and he goes, Yeah, well, I see you say, you know, they gotta have, you know, you gotta have a woman, and I and I looked at him right off the top, and I just said, "Well, why don't you start with girls and work your way up?" Boom, cut, print, and dude, he was like, you hated that because I freaking burned him one, man, you know." And I'm like, "You know, don't get up in here, you know, because I learned that the hard way." You know what? On the rookie, I'm doing my like scene with uh, with Raul Julia. And I go, okay, Mr. Strong, you know, this and this. And, dude, he walks out of my face. And he did it every time. And I couldn't, I'm like, dude, he's gone, you know. So I go to Clint. And I said, you know, Clint, I said, look, man, you know, um, I'm a little bit confused here. I said, every time I try to talk to Raul, you know, he walks out of my face.
2: And he goes, Clint goes, yeah, I know. I've been watching that. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, next time you start talking, if you watch out of your face, Stop talking.
0: And I went, okay. So next thing, dude, I start talking. He walks out of my face. He knows I've got other lines. I just didn't say them. And Raul stops, looks back at me, smiles like, you finally figured it out, huh, kid? You're right? He wasn't going to make it easy for me. These old actors, I've had them punk me so many times, you wouldn't believe it. And when Clint Allen was telling the story about Robert De Niro, what he didn't tell you was, because I remember when he did it, he came back and he goes, yeah, man, you know what? He goes, this guy goes in 75 takes, right? He goes, "He goes, you know me, I've only got two or three in me. The Clint's always said that. Oh, you know, I've only got, I've even used that line uh, in other movies with other directors where so they go, we're doing rehearsals, and they go, Hey, Dave, you know, uh, what are you doing? You're lagging behind here. We're trying to do this. I go, well, really just rehearsing, you know, just for camera, right? And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, I'm not going to burn it out because I've only got two or three in me. And dude, the two like, well, you better have more than that in you. It worked for Clint, but it doesn't work for me. But Clint's always said that. Yeah, I've only got two or three. But yeah, he complained about that, that De Niro wore him out so hard, right, that that's his game. That's his game. These old actors, they duck games, man. And if you've been in the business long enough and, w- and had the privilege of working with these types of actors and having yourself embarrassed by them, they're not going to tell you, right? You're going to figure it out on your own. And so it's like anything else. It gets passed down. So when I get there on the set with a new guy like Nick Jonas, well, I don't know. I'm not going to make it easy for him either. You know, I even asked him, I said, you ever seen any stuff that I've done? No, man, I never seen anything you've done. You know, Uh, I go, really? Okay. All right, well, that's cool. You didn't even bother to look up the guy that's going to be playing your dad? That right there is a fucking foul. Anybody that I work with, I immediately, I them. I want to know who they are, what they've done, and I'll even go back and watch this stuff so that when I get there, I know what the hell i got going on, you know, and who I'm up against. He didn't do that. So anyway, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that's, that's the movie that's coming out. I had a good time working with a guy. He's a, you know, he's, he's a, he's, he's a talented fella, but, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't think this
2: movie's that good. I really don't. You know,
0: I had a good time working with Bill McElroy. Although, you know, first time I met him, I called him Dylan McDermott, so, yeah, I, I and I promised I would myself I wouldn't do that and I did it. You know, and he's like, Dylan McDermott. I go, No, man, I'm just messing with you, dude. I said, There's dirty Steve from freaking young guys. Charlie Sheen's my boy. He says hi. Oh, you know Charlie? I go, we my homies. Call I call it calling right now. And that's how I get off the hook with that. But I totally called him Dylan McDermott, man. Yeah. It was awful. So anyway.
1: I was just gonna ask you, what are you working on now?
0: Right now, I'm auditioning, and nothing solid. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be invited back to Halt and Catch Fire, but we don't know yet because all the scripts aren't in. But in the meantime, it's, and it's actually kind of slow right now. Uh, I'm just you know, waiting for you know, the season to kick back in. But, you know, uh, there'll be a lot of stuff coming my way. You know, they will just have to see. I'm in North Carolina now, you know, I came down here, uh, back in '04 to do the Dale Earnhardt story. I played healthy Wheeler. Then I come back and I do one tree heel. Then I come back the next week and I do a, a series called surface. And I'm like, wow, you know, then I, was, I, then I visited with a buddy of mine from LA, uh, who's living here. He's got his, you know, big house and all this. And I was like, wow, man, you know, you're doing really good over here. And it's like, you know, what, you know, what'd you pay for this? Like, you know, 750 He goes, no, man. He goes, why don't you try 150 It's like a 3000 square foot house. I go, what? I'm living in a freaking shoebox in Encino, California, for $2,000 a month. I said, uh, what am I doing wrong? And so, uh, he said, well, you know, there's a lot of work going on down here. I can introduce you to this guy and that guy and an agent. So, he introduced me to the thing, Cannons casting director's Uh, they're the biggest casting group in the Southeast. They recommended me to this agent, artist resource agency, I signed with a guy and I bought a house and I moved here and I've done more work down here in the past five years than I did in like, you know, 10 years in Los Angeles. So, um, it's all seasonal. So we're just waiting for them to kick back in and then I'll get back out there. But I recently just changed my look. So I think I'm going to be a little bit more user friendly. To some of the things that are coming my way. You know, I mean, because I, I auditioned for this Banshee and freaking Homeland. I auditioned for Homeland like 12 times. Nothing. Yeah. You know, because I always you know, had blonde hair and stuff, and I look like California guy. And so recently I just went, I, I got rid of it, and I went with this silver gray look, man. So, yeah, I came out as a gray man. So uh, now I can play police officers, politicians, lawyers, stuff like that, you know, because I'm in my 50s, man. I'm excited. I haven't auditioned with this new look yet, you know. I look more distinguished, you know, professional, you know. I don't look so much like a California boy that I've looked for so long. Because even when I got careful what you wish for, they didn't even dye my hair black, you know. So... um I'm anxious to break out this new look, and I think it's going to be a lot better for me. Uh, And I'm jacked up to get back into the audition season. So, working on nothing right now, man, just kicking back, being black. Oh, hey, you know what? Here's something I wanted to tell you. When it comes down to the skank character, a lot of people have asked me this over this, because, you know, I've got a a Facebook page called, you know, the Wraith uh, movie page. And I took your podcast, by the way, and I put it on there, and then I paid money to promote it, and it reached 11,000 people, okay, I did that for you, absolutely, I'm not even on that, but I wanted to promote your, your, your your deal, and it's on there, I think I've invited you to it, but it's called the Wraith Movie Page, okay, anyway, he you want me to ask me, they said, how did you come up with that skank character, ask me that.
1: How did you come up with that skin character? Well,
0: it's very funny that you ask. When I first read it, you know, it was like he was this crater head. He didn't have a mohawk. He wore a German helmet with holes cut in it with spikes coming out of it. Okay? Well, I read for the thing, but when I did, the way I came up with the character, I didn't know how he would talk, right? And the one and one thing that I always do as an actor. In all the things I've ever done, I always look for, when I read the script, I look for one line that defines that character. And you can find it if you know what you're looking for. Well, you know what? Believe it or not, the center of Skank came from, unless you like Maurice better. Why? I don't know. But when I read that line, I went, okay, Maurice. I figured, now, here we are in Arizona. The guy's a neo-apocalyptic punk guy, kind of guy. I figured he wasn't from that area, and he was kind of a Texan. So I put a country accent. I thought it would be interesting to play a, a drastic punk guy, you know, neo neophyte with a southern Texas accent. And I actually went in, and because once we put on the hat with the spikes, Mike goes, I hate it. And I go, let me do it. And he said, fine. So I designed that mohawk on my my own with the hairdresser, Leslie Ann Anderson. And I designed the makeup. And a lot of it was based on Alice Cooper that I did. And I did that with Catherine Logan, my makeup artist. So I created that look and Mike signed off on it, right? Now, so we're doing the thing, we're rehearsing. You know, and I'm just you know like you know yeah you know talking whatever. And I go to Mike. I said, Mike. I go, wait a minute. Yeah, I said, here's something I'm confused about. I said, this guy is drinking freaking brake fluid, you know, and hydro hydraulic fluid, and sniffing WD-40. I go, drinking gasoline. I said, that that would kill
2: kill a person.
0: You know now you know. And I don't I don't need to be method, but I'm like I got to know what the hell, dude. And Mike goes. Well, he goes, look at it like this. We've got a guy that you guys killed that comes back from the dead, from some other dimension in this car, right, who can ride a motorcycle and disappear. He goes, so we've got a lot of license here, right? He said, so in your case, he goes, when I wrote this in this character, I never thought about that. He goes, but I will tell you this. He goes, I doubt it could be too good for his nervous system. That's what he said. And I went, oh, okay. So the, the next, when we do the first scene, well, the, I don't really do it in the the first scene that we shot, Skank and Gutter Boy, it's when we pull up in the car to the lake, okay? And I'm going, and I go, Jesus, shit has got some kick, you know? But I wasn't all tweaked out yet. I didn't discover that. That's what, after I asked Mike. I said, after that scene, it's when I asked him that. So then the next scene, I started doing, the, you know, the tweaky thing, what I'm doing, you know, you know, like that. And and we do it. And Mike goes, I love it. Love that. It's beautiful. He goes, now you know you're going to have to keep that up for the rest of the movie. And I wonder you want to talk about painting yourself into a corner. Hey, let me tell you something, bro. I'm 24 years old. My neck was so sore at the end of every day from from doing that because what I would do is I would start out before the scene, I would start out with full body shake. I would just be like, ah, 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 and then I would rein it in and go, to where I was going, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, i enough of this will shit, you know, and I'm just fucking fighting like this. That's how I got there. I had to keep that up for the rest of the movie, you know, <laughs> and, oh, it was a bitch. And I heard you ask Jamie, how did you guys keep that energy up? Well, I'll tell you what, it was no easy task, but we did it. That's how Skank came alive. You know, he was not, what was on the paper was not what ended up on the screen. Okay. Mike gave me all kinds of room to develop that character. And I did it based on, <laughs> you must be like four-inch better. <laughs> And before I ever played any, any scene with Skank, the first thing I would say to myself before we rolled, I would go, I'd get into it, I'd start to go, unless you like Maurice better. And then he'd go, action. And then I would go into it. But that's how I warmed it up, Was unless that was my key um, my key to kick Skank off was, unless you like Maurice better. And there's a secret to it.
1: Thank you so much. This has been great.
0: No, man, thank you, bro. I am the biggest race fan out there. I mean, and I'm an expert on it. Uh, You ever want to talk, I mean, yeah, or movies or whatever. I can talk all kinds of movies, man. Shit. (laughs) That's Nick Cage right there. You know, yeah, man, anytime. I mean, uh, please. I mean, I, I love film. I especially love talking movies. And, you know, I love what you guys are doing. And the fact that you dudes... Picked up on those things. When I listened to your podcast, I am like, these sons of bitches are on top of it, man. You guys were, nothing gets by you. And uh, the only thing was when, when the one guy goes, uh, that gutter boy said, uh, you know, hard enough, whatever he is, he's pissed off.
2: I go, he didn't say that.
0: Yeah, I, I, as a matter of fact, I told you, and I go, dude, listen,
2: I'm going to throw this line in, okay? Okay? I need you to set me up for it. And we
0: didn't even tell Mike. And Jamie goes, okay, what do you want me to say? I go, I need you to go, Skank, who is that guy? He goes, what do you want me to say? I go, you just say that shit and don't worry what the fuck I'm going to say. So he goes, Skank, who is that guy? And I'm crouched up there on top of that, <laughs> on that ladder and I go, I don't
2: know. Whatever he is, He's weird and pissed off.
0: And I took that from my favorite movie, The Thing, where Kurt Russell goes, what the going on? And Richard Masser goes, I don't know, but whatever's in there, it's weird and pissed off. Richard Masser, look it up. The thing, great movie, dude. Great movie. You want to talk sci-fi? Holler at your boy, because that's my stuff. I don't like any other movies so much because I'm going to judge them. You know, as being an actor, I'm to like, eh, guy sucks. So but when I watch sci-fi, I can actually relax and watch and enjoy the movie. You know, it's a curse being an actor, especially when you study actors. you And here's the other thing, Mike, when you've worked on so many films that I've worked on and with so many people, you know, I mean, Brad Pitt was my roommate. So was Jason Priestley. You know, I live with, I live with these guys, you know, I see them and shit. As a matter of fact, Priestley wrote a book a few months ago, dude, and and I was pitching him for a lot of years because I'm the one who discovered his ass when I did 21 Jump Street. And he was a high school student. Griff O'Neill was supposed to play that part. Griff was in trouble with the cops. Couldn't leave the country. When he was shooting in Vancouver, they had to cast somebody local. They cast Priestley in that role. He was in high school. Dude, he's like, whoa, bro. I showed you the riff, man. That was the shit. And I'm like, well, thanks, bro. You know, whatever. And I, I star in this episode. As a matter of fact, the last time I saw Johnny Depp was, was on the raid. And, and I told him, he brings that shit around me again, his attitude, I'm going to fucking fuck you up. And he didn't want none of it. He didn't want none of it. Next thing you know, here it comes. 1987, a year later, I get cast. I go into audition for this role against Flea from freaking Chili Peppers for this punk rocker. I get the role. He doesn't. Guess what? They send me to Vancouver, dude. Okay, Twenty One Jump Street, first season. I'm walking along. I hear this PT. Hey, I look over. And it's Johnny Depp. And I was like, and I'm gonna post it up. I go, what's up, man? And he goes, hey, dude, can I can I talk to you, man, for a minute? I go, yeah, I guess so. And he goes, listen, dude. He goes, you know, first of all. I'm really glad to cast you in this episode. You're coming up here to do a show with me. He goes, and secondly, just want to tell you, man, I want to apologize for my behavior in Tucson. He goes, would you come in our trailer and have a drink with me? And I said, all right, you know, okay, dude. And we sat down and we talked, and he told me his side of the story. And as it turned out, the reason he was acting like that was because the producers had told him that we'd get one in a round. We never said that. We didn't want him around because he had the attitude which they created. And I said, dude, we didn't want you around because you were acting like you. he. Goes, well, I was acting like that because they told me you didn't want me around. And I'm like, wow, dude. And you know what? We became fast friends, and we are to this very day. To this very day, me and Johnny Depp. Absolutely. That's right. Yes. That's how that happened. I played Lancer in, uh, in an episode of 21 Jump Street. Started it. And, uh, dude freaking had an awesome time but that's how that all came to fruition and then you know I told Charlie I go dude you know I work with Gap, dude and he goes he's a good guy I worked with him too I go well you know I thought he was a dick man but I said yeah he's actually a good guy and he goes well I'm doing the RPG man I'm going to have him in it you know and uh, he goes well i you in it too Rob and I got nothing for you I go that's, that's okay you know so I was there when they shot that with Clint and everybody and, and John you know, and like I said, we've known each other, all these, all those guys have known each other all these years and we're still bros, you know, and it's just, it, that's the beauty of this kind of business. Not as Clint said, you know what? He's been friends with Ray and, and guys from Apollo 13. You know what? I'm friends with my guys from Ray and a movie called Five Aces. And my oldest friend in the business my oldest and closest friend that I've known right out of the gate is Chris McDonald. He was in my wedding. Motherfucker was in my wedding.
1: I was going to ask you what he was like to work with.
0: That guy is my boy, okay? We've known each other for 30-some years. I said he flew out from Cali to North Carolina to be in my wedding five years ago, okay? Yes. I mean, and... um and then when I was at, I went out to uh, see Charlie uh, for Thanksgiving, and we got him on the phone, and he hadn't talked to Charlie in like 15 years, so we got him on conference, you know, we're all like drinking and laughing, and, and now those guys are hooking up. So, you know, it's just, uh, it all comes around, man. But, you know, me and, me and Charlie, is my, he's still one of my closest homeboy.
1: That is terrific.
0: Absolutely. We've been through a lot of stuff, yeah. We didn't talk for 10 years, because... Charlie's life took, took one direction and like a direction that I had got, I ran, I ran with him really hard, but then at one point, you know, I ended up in rehab and I said, I can't, I can't go with you anymore on this, you know? And he was like, well, fuck you then, you know? And he starts hanging out with slash and all these guys. And he was doing stuff that was, you know, like I, I just couldn't go with him on that. And, you know, we got to a big argument and hit me with a baseball bat. And I said, well, fuck you. And we didn't talk for a long time until about two years ago, came back around and he was like, my man, you know, dude, I've got no friends left. Everybody is, has sold me out. And you're the guy that's still there and never judged me. And I said, well, yeah, I said, I never judge you. I said, I wasn't, I was never your yes man. You want to act like an asshole? Then I can't go with you on, I did it with you for a while, but you know, I had to move on. I had to get married, you know. I mean, I didn't have to, but I wanted to, and I did. I got, you know, I got married to a beautiful, you know, girl that's twenty years younger than me. She's all titties and legs, dude. Fuck you, bro. I scored, so you know. And he got to meet her. He got to, got to meet her at Thanksgiving, and he's like, "Damn, bro, Fucking your wife could kick my ass because she's five ten, dude. You know, and Charlie's like five and I go, oh, yeah, dude, she's got a wide foot. She'll kick both of them. Next thing you know, she had an E-Day out, ha- out of her hand, and they became fast friends and left me and C. Thomas Howell sitting in the corner, freaking drinking freaking scotch. That was our Thanksgiving. It was awesome. We had a great time. So, anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I know you'll edit all this, so you've got lots of stuff to work with, right? Anytime you ever want to talk about anything, Hey, I'm here if you want, you know, anything, anything, just let me know.